Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. She's a fox. In France, she would be called Lara Nard, and she would be hunted with only her cunning to protect her. She's a babe. She's a robo-babe. In Latin, she would be called Babia Majora. If she were a president, she'd be Babraham Lincoln. Did you ever find Bugs Bunny attractive when he'd put on a dress and play a girl bunny? No. <laughs> no. Neither did I. I was just asking. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. everyone, I'm Anne. Swing! Swing! And welcome to Verbal Diorama, episode 199, Wayne's World. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And welcome to Verbal Diorama. Welcome back to Verbal Diorama. Whether you are a brand new listener to this podcast, whether you are a regular returning listener or an irregular returning listener, thank you for being here. Thank you for choosing to listen to this podcast. I am so happy to have you here for the history and legacy of Wayne's World. And this is the first non-animation episode of the year. But before I go into Wayne's World, I just wanted to take the opportunity to thank everyone who listened to Animation Season this year and who supports Animation Season. Because to me, it truly is the most wonderful time of the year. 13 animated movies got their dues this year. And I have genuinely quite proud that out of all of my podcast output, 29% of the movies that I've covered on this podcast have been animated. The figure's slightly more if you count hybrids like Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Enchanted, but I am such a huge fan of animation. This is never going to be a purely animation podcast because I like to cover everything on this podcast, but I do have a very specific love for animation and that is not going to slow down. I plan to dot more animated movies in the schedule this year. But if you have listened to any of 
those 13 animated movies that I did in animation season, I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for your support, especially into this podcast's fifth year, because this podcast just turned four. So I am now officially in my fifth year of doing this podcast, and that is crazy, crazy stuff. This episode is the 199th episode, so I'm just about to hit episode 200 as well, so the milestones keep on coming. And this episode was actually auctioned off for charity. And the idea being that the winner would choose a movie for me to cover in exchange for a donation to charity. The charity was Dementia UK, uh, the highest bidder who basically got their own episode of the podcast was Adrian. And Adrian originally could have chosen a very obscure Polish war movie. But I'm really grateful because instead he chose Wayne's World. And I'm delighted because not only is it a fantastic choice, and thank you so much, Adrian, for the choice, it's also been on my list to cover for so long. So I am delighted to finally be talking about Wayne's World. I'm delighted that Adrian chose Wayne's World. And I'm obviously delighted that Dementia UK got a little bit of money for the privilege of Wayne's World as well. They are, of course, supporting people with dementia, Alzheimer's disease. It is genuinely a very worthy cause. And I'm not really going to beat around the bush because we've got a lot to talk about when it comes to Wayne's World. Because what you might think is a very nondescript comedy movie from the early 90s is actually a hell of a lot more. And there's a hell of a lot more of a story behind the scenes to Wayne's World as well. So let's start the trailer for Wayne's World. I see a little silhouette of a man. Scaramouche, Scaramouche, will you do the fandango? Thunderbolt and lightning. Just outside of Chicago. Galileo. 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 In the basement of this house. It's Wayne's World. Wayne's World. Party time. Excellent. Broadcast history is about to be made. Extreme close-up. I want you to find out who these guys are and where they do their show. What is this? Mr. Vanderhoff, this is your audience. It's two chimps on a Davenport in a basement. Here I am with the contract for $5,000. Excuse me? Now they're on their way. No way. Way. To fade. Will you still love me when I'm in my carbohydrate sequin jumpsuit? Young girls in white cotton panties, bloated, purple, dead on a toilet face. To fortune. Contractor knows. I will not bow to any sponsor. To Babe Heaven. What do you do if every time you see this one incredible woman, you, you think you're gonna hurl? I say hurl. If you blow chunks and she comes back, she's yours. If you spew and she bolts, it was never meant to be. Okay. It's Wade. This is definitely the type of place I'm gonna get when I move out of my parents' house. It's God. I love you, God. If she were a president, she'd be Abraham Lincoln. It's a movie. We're not worthy! We're not worthy! Wayne's World. It just might be the greatest motion picture ever made. Are you mental? The has a devil put aside for me, for me. Wayne's World. bring you up to speed. His name is Wayne Campbell. He lives in Aurora, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago. Excellent. He's had plenty of Joe jobs, nothing he'd call a career. Let me put it this way. 
He has an extensive collection of name tags and hairnets. Okay, he still lives with his parents, which he admits is both bogus and sad, but he's got an amazing cable access show and he still knows how to party. But what he'd really love is to do Wayne's World for a living. It might happen. Sure, a monkey's might fly out of his butt. Ah, the Musmobile. This is his best friend, Garth Algar. This is where Garth says hi. I think a little Bohemian Rhapsody, gentlemen. Let's read through the cast. We have Mike Myers as Wayne Campbell, Dana Carvey as Garth Algar, Tia Carrere as Cassandra Wong, Rob Lowe as Benjamin Kane, Lara Flynn Boyle as Stacy, Brian Doyle Murray as Noah Vanderhoff, Colleen Camp as Mrs. Vanderhoff, Kurt Fuller as Russell Finley, Chris Farley as the well-informed security guard, Meatloaf as Tiny the Bouncer, Frank DeLeo as Frankie, Mr. Big Sharp, and Ed O'Neill as Glenn, with cameos from Robert Patrick as the T-1000, and Alice Cooper as himself, with Pete Friesian, Derek Sherinian, Steph Burns, and Jimmy DeGrasso, Alice Cooper's band also as themselves. Wayne's World was written by Mike Myers, Bonnie Turner, and Terry Turner, was based on Wayne's World by Mike Myers, and was directed by Penelope Spheris. Public access TV is not something that we have in the UK, not at least in the same vein as over in the US. We have localised TV stations providing local news. Scotland and Wales have their own channels with their own content, as well as national public TV companies like the BBC, ITV, Channel 4 and Channel 5. So public access TV is alien to us Brits, but not in the United States. Cable companies in the United States started providing access channels to the public in the 1970s under Section 611 of the Communications Act so that organisations and individuals could create content for other people in their own areas. Beginning in 1972, all newly installed cable systems, and from 1977, all cable systems, in the 100 largest television markets were mandated to include channels for public access, government and education. According to this requirement, cable providers offered three public access channels for use by state and municipal governments, educational institutes and public. Public access was interpreted to mean that the cable company could make equipment and airtime available so that essentially anybody could utilise the access channel for non-commercial purposes on a first-come, first-served basis and pretty much say and do anything they please, subject to only libel and obscenity restrictions. The end result was completely new content that reflected the interests of those typically left out of mainstream television, empowering everyday people to have their own TV shows and talk about things that mattered to them. And these were usually underrepresented groups from mainstream TV, like people of colour. Public access television was created because, according to the Federal Communications Act of 1984, the public owns the airways. Increasing public participation in political discourse is beneficial in democracies, and mainstream television significantly constrained the range of viewpoints and opinions. Public access television would make television available to the public, enable community involvement, and thereby serve the general interest of enhancing democracy. And consequently, public access TV grew significantly during the 1980s and 1990s, which basically hits a slap bang in peak public access, 1992, and Wayne's World. Excellent. But Wayne Campbell as a character didn't start in the early 90s. He didn't even debut on Saturday Night Live. 
The character was one that Mike Myers created as a child and started performing on Toronto City TV in the alternative video show City Limits in the early 80s and as the character in the music video for Canadian songwriter and broadcaster Christopher Ward's hit single Boys and Girls. In 1986, Wayne Campbell appeared in the variety series If Only Rock and Roll in a segment called Wayne's Power Minute. Myers would take the character of Wayne, as well as the character of Dieter, who would be in Sprockets, to Saturday Night Live when he made his debut on the 21st of January 1989. And interestingly, Mike Myers would be sued by Universal over the character of Dieter in 2000 for backing out of a $20 million contract to make a movie based on that character. And that is how he ended up making the cat in the hat instead. True story. Wayne Campbell, an enthusiastic, long-haired young man who enjoys rock and metal music, lives in his parents' basement in Aurora, Illinois. For the Saturday Night Live sketches, Myers was paired with SNL veteran Dana Carvey as Wayne's best friend Garth Algar, his shy, timid, yet equally metal-loving and long-haired sidekick. Wayne and Garth host their own public access cable show, broadcast live from Wayne's parents' basement every Friday evening. The first Wayne's World sketch appeared in the 13th episode of Saturday Night Live's 1988-89 season on the 18th of February 1989. Allegedly, Myers wasn't too happy to be paired up with Carvey for the sketch because he felt like the character was his baby and Carvey was the better-known star at the time. Nevertheless, these sketches would become incredibly popular. In the early sketches, Wayne and Garth are high school students and their guests on the show included their teachers and other students from school. Other frequent guests included Garth's father, Beeve, played by the late Phil Hartman, and his mother, Hilary, played by Candice Bergen, whom Wayne considers a babe. In later appearances, Wayne and Garth appear to be young adults, although Wayne still lives with his parents, theme which would carry over to the first film, and their discussions shifted more towards current events and pop culture phenomena, with the show featuring actual celebrity guests, including Aerosmith, who'd of course go on to feature in Wayne's World 2, and Tom Hanks as Garth's cousin Barry. And you might think that a movie based on Wayne's World would be an easy sell. It wasn't the first movie based on SNL characters, that honour goes to the Blues Brothers, and while now the Blues Brothers is seen as a comedy masterpiece, back when it was released in 1980, despite a huge bidding war for the rights between Universal and Paramount and directed by John Landis, it was an incredibly troubled and lengthy production. It was released at the same time as The Empire Strikes Back, and originally there were concerns it would fail at the box office. It didn't, and it would become a cult classic. SNL sketches weren't generally seen as box office potential. What gave Wayne's World the edge was the involvement of producer and SNL boss Lorne Michaels. Michaels approached Myers in 1991 about a feature film, not of Wayne's World, but a remake of The Graduate. Myers was hesitant, but Michaels was insistent. In Mike Myers' eyes, The Graduate was a classic that didn't need a remake, so he countered Lorne Michaels' suggestion with his own, a feature-length version of Wayne's World. It goes somewhere to highlight the incredibly large balls of Mike Myers and how much faith he'd have in his own creation. Some might say he had a bit of an ego, and I'm going to come back to that. But he had an ego for a good reason. Lorne Michaels saw the potential and set Myers up with SNL staff writers Bonnie and Terry Turner to set about writing a script. In the background, Penelope Spheris was establishing herself as cult director, working on independent documentaries, The Decline of Western Civilization Part 1, about LA punk rockers, and Part 2, about metal bands. 
She leaned towards rebellious youth films like Suburbia and would direct post-rehab Carrie Fisher in 1986's Hollywood Vice Squad, but she had never helmed a major Hollywood studio production. It would be her experience with The Decline of Western Civilization Part 2, as well as an existing friendship with Lord Michaels, that led her coming under consideration for Wayne's World. Spheris was 45 years old when she got the Wayne's World directorial gig, and the fact she knew something about metal and headbanging would work in her favour. Not that this gig would be easy, not that ever being a female director in Hollywood is easy, but the magnitude of this responsibility didn't come lightly to Spheris, and it was a responsibility that would eventually earn her the prestigious title of one of very few female directors at the time whose movie would gross over $100 million at the box office. But I did mention egos, and Mike Myers had one. But there were other factors in the incredibly difficult relationship between him and Penelope Spheris on this movie. He was incredibly stressed at the time, not only because this was all to intents and purposes, his big break, but also his father was very sick at the time he was making Wayne's World. While there are various reports and issues on the set of Wayne's World, Spheris's take on it seems to have simmered in recent years. In 2008, she told Entertainment Weekly that while Myers was emotionally needy and had gotten more difficult as the shoot went along, she dismissed that it was a troubled production. She maintains that she had a fantastic time making this movie. So when it came to casting Wayne's World, obviously you already have Mike Myers and Dana Carvey on board. Although Dana Carvey, there were issues surrounding him as well and his involvement in the movie. He reportedly walked away from the movie only to be enticed back with the promise that Garth would have more of a screen presence in the movie than Mike Myers originally wanted. Tia Carrere, meanwhile... She's a babe. She's magically babelicious. She tested very high on the strokeability scale. And she was originally offered a role on Baywatch as a marine biologist love interest for David Hasselhoff's character, Mitch Buchanan. She auditioned for Baywatch and shortly after she received a script for Wayne's World. And she knew she would be perfect for Cassandra. The casting call read, a girl from Hong Kong who speaks with a heavy Hong Kong accent, but when she sings, she rocks like Pat Benatar. Tia Carell wasn't from Hong Kong, nor did she have a Hong Kong accent, but she could act, she could perform, and most importantly, she could wail. She performed an acapella version of Hit Me With Your Best Shot for her first audition. Carell would do her own singing on the Ways World soundtrack. She would learn the bass guitar in three weeks. And as the lone female lead character in Wayne's World, Cassandra was offered actual agency and her own art, a rarity for female parts in the early 90s, especially when the character's just supposed to be the love interest. She really did have problems with an 80-pound snake shooting the in-movie music video, and the famous red lace dress was made by a store called Trashy Lingerie in Los Angeles, and it's still hanging in Carrere's closet. Trashy lingerie would also make the iconic black corset Pamela Anderson wore in barbed wire, the Fembot baby doll dresses and Elizabeth Hurley's outfit in Austin Powers, and Emma Stone's corset in Easy A. For the role of Benjamin, the unscrupulous yuppie who tricks Wayne and Garth into selling away their cherished show, Rob Lowe was suggested by Lorne Michaels, and this was something that shocked Penelope Spheres, given that a scandal had literally just broken out when a sex tape of the actor, who was 24, was released with him having relations with a 16-year-old girl in a hotel room during the 1988 Democratic National Convention in Atlanta. It's worth adding that when this happened, the legal age of consent in Georgia was 14, but the legal age of consent to be recorded was 18. 
Penelope Spheris would refuse the casting until Lord Michaels reminded her of how cheap Rob Lowe would be. Lowe's career would eventually rebound and it was helped immensely by his role in Wayne's World, as well as proving that he could do comedy. And this would lead to a part in Austin Powers' The Spy Who Shagged Me, also with Mike Myers as a young number two, and also one of his most famous roles, that of Chris Traeger in Parks and Recreation. Alice Cooper, who had also been involved in the decline of Western Civilization Part 2, agreed to a cameo for himself and his band, and thought that he was only going to appear singing Feed My Frankenstein. But Mike Myers and Bonnie and Terry Turner were almost constantly rewriting scenes, so much so that Penelope Spheris would give them a 24-hour cut-off time for rewrites. Cooper wasn't originally going to have any dialogue, so when he was given a complete monologue about Milwaukee, he was surprised, but he was game to do it. He memorised the whole thing and shot it in just two takes. Wayne's World was greenlit by Paramount in June 1991, with originally a 40-day filming schedule that began on the 2nd of August 1991. Principal photography was described as hectic, partly due to the lead actors needing to return to their roles on Saturday Night Live by the end of September 1991. Wayne's World would end up being shot over 34 days, and not at all in Aurora, Illinois, but instead in California, Inglewood for Stan Nikita's Donuts, Los Angeles for the exteriors of the Gasworks, and Van Noys for the exteriors of Wayne's House, although they did shoot a handful of scenes in Chicago, including the famous Bohemian Rhapsody segment, which was something that Mike Myers fought for. Contrary to popular belief, it was never meant to be Guns N' Roses. Penelope Spheris was annoyed at the band because their manager, Anne Niven, had pulled them out of her documentary, The Decline of Western Civilization Part Two. It would never have been Guns N' Roses. Total credit for the inclusion of Queen's 1975 song Bohemian Rhapsody completely goes to Mike Myers. And Queen might now be one of the biggest bands in the world, but back in the 80s and early 90s, they'd fallen out of favour in the US. Frontman Freddie Mercury was known for his flamboyance and showmanship, and he loved poking fun at himself. But in the 80s, the United States was prudish. They didn't understand why a group of grown men were dressing in drag for the I Want to Break Free video. In the early 90s, Mercury was increasingly becoming sick, and Mike Myers called Brian May with an approval request for a sequence in the movie. A VHS of the Bohemian Rhapsody scene was shipped over, and May was instructed to show Freddie Mercury, who was battling AIDS at the time. Mercury was bedridden, but May showed him the tape, and Mercury perked up. He was smiling and laughing. He thought it was absolutely wonderful, and approval was granted for Bohemian Rhapsody. Spheris would dispute May's recollection in 2022 interview, explaining that due to the short time frame between the completion of the film and Mercury's death, she believes it's highly unlikely that anyone would have had access to a tape of the scene to show Mercury, but nevertheless, Bohemian Rhapsody was included in the movie, so someone must have given permission for that. Freddie Mercury would pass away on the 24th of November 1991, three months before the movie was released in the US, and he would never see the completed film. His bandmates, though, would feel the incredible response that Wayne's World would give Queen and Bohemian Rhapsody. The inclusion of the song reignited the band's popularity across the world, but especially in the US. Bohemian Rhapsody would be re-released in early 1992, 16 years after its last release in the US, and would reach number two in the Billboard charts, spending 17 weeks in the chart. And no stairway denied! because originally the movie did contain the first few notes of Stairway to Heaven, but as Led Zeppelin didn't come back to them with permission to use the song, 
after the movie was released, Led Zeppelin did get in touch and quite literally denied usage of those notes. And this is why subsequent re-releases don't actually contain any Stairway to Heaven. The original notes were restored with the 4K Blu-ray release in 2022. And Gary Wright would re-record the song Dreamweaver for the film, which is heard whenever Wayne looks at Cassandra. The movie's final cut was one matter where Spheris and Myers did not agree. She presented Myers with her version and he gave her many pages of proposed revisions. She wouldn't touch her final edit. She stood fast on her decisions. And many of those decisions were made while Mike Myers was grieving the loss of his father, who passed away shortly after the movie finished filming. When a test screening was put on, Myers didn't attend and he had no idea the reception. The test screening went incredibly well, and this was the argument Spheris used to go against Myers' changes. Their butting of heads would ultimately lead to Myers not wanting her to helm the sequel. This would be directed by Stephen Sergic instead. But that sequel is a whole other story. Long story short, Myers wanted to base the story for Wayne's World 2 on the 1949 Eden comedy Passport to Pimlico, with Wayne and Garth founding their own country. But the studio didn't have the rights to Passport to Pimlico, meaning Myers got a huge telling off by Paramount studio head Sherry Lansing and demanded that he rewrite the story in super quick time. That's how we ended up with Waynestock. Spheris, meanwhile, continued as a successful working Hollywood director, but got pigeonholed into directing mainstream comedies. So she would work on the big screen adaptations of The Little Rascals and The Beverly Hillbillies. She would also direct SNL alumni Chris Farley and David Spade in Black Sheep. But with the success of Wayne's World, Spheris became one of only a handful of women who have directed a movie grossing over $100 million. Penelope Spheris, in an interview with Den of Geek, would say, I always felt that Wayne's World kind of took a ride on Bill and Ted a little bit, because Bill and Ted was first. But anyway, they're separate movies. They're very different. And this is the perfect segue, really, into the obligatory Keanu reference for this episode. Basically, I like to take the movie that I'm featuring and try and link it to Keanu Reeves in some small way. But Penelope Spheris has already done that for me because she did liken this movie to Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted was first. And in the pantheon of great double acts, Bill and Ted and Wayne and Garth, they very much do come together. Also, I do have to say that Keanu... World was released on Valentine's Day in 1992. Just imagine the joy of your beloved taking you to see Wayne's World for Valentine's Day. That sounds like a pretty perfect date to me. But anyway, it is also President's Day weekend in the US. And while February is never seen as the big release month for Hollywood movies, the film did remarkably well. So it was a box office success. It debuted at number one in the US. It stayed at number one for five weeks and it was dethroned by fellow verbal diorama episode Basic Instinct. On a budget of $20 million, Wayne's World would gross $121.7 million domestically in the US, $61.4 million internationally for a total worldwide gross of $183 million, making it eighth highest grossing film worldwide of 1992 and the highest grossing of the 11 films based on Saturday Night Live skits. And I did briefly mention Wayne's World 2, but there was a crazy fast turnaround between Wayne's World and Wayne's World 2. Wayne's World 2 did struggle at the box office, and I am firmly in 
the Wayne's World is better than Wayne's World 2 camp. But I do appreciate the sequel for what it is, in that it's a sequel to Wayne's World. It's highly unlikely we will ever see a Wayne's World 3, although Mike Myers and Dana Carvey have appeared publicly as the characters several times over the years. In 2008, at the MTV Movie Awards, in 2011 and 2015 on Saturday Night Live, and in 2021 in an Uber Eats advert during the Super Bowl. And I suppose it's time to find out what people think of this movie. I like to ask on Patreon, I also like to ask on social media as well, what people think of the movie that I'm featuring. We're going to start with the patrons, and we're going to start with Laurel. And Laurel's comment was literally just, Schwing. Now, if Laurel were president, she would be Abraham Lincoln. That is a fact. And if you are interested in Laurel and the podcast that she does with her husband, Derek, it is The Midnight Myth. And because whenever a patron comments, I give a little plug for their podcast, I'm going to give a little bit of a plug for The Midnight Myth because it is one of my favourite podcasts. I always learn something from The Midnight Myth. They basically talk about history, mythology, philosophy, basically how those topics keep popping up in movies like Wayne's World. Now, I know The Midnight Myth haven't done an episode on Wayne's World because I don't think there's much history, mythology and philosophy that would link to Wayne's World. However, it would be quite interesting to hear them try. So I will put some information in the show notes. Go and have a listen to The Midnight Myth. We also have a patron comment from Pete who says, Wayne's World brings me such immense joy and I know almost nothing about it besides what you see on the screen. I've never even seen a single one of the SNL sketches it was based on Garth Algar is an all-time character and Cassandra is an all-time babe. I could probably quote the whole thing from start to finish, so I'm glad it's getting the verbal diorama treatment. Pete also has his own podcast. It's called Middle Class Film Class. And technically, technically, as a patron and as a high-tiered patron, Pete is going to have a sponsored ad at the end of this episode. So, contract or no, I will bow to the sponsor. Middle Class Film Class is hosted by Pete, Joseph and Tyler. It's a weekly movie news and reviews podcast. I'll put some information in the show notes, but there's also going to be an ad at the end. The next patron comment comes from perennial commenter Andy, who says, When Wayne's World came out, there really wasn't that stigma yet of the lousy SNL sketch brought to the cinema. Wayne and Garth definitely benefited by having a deeper story told of their characters without getting super silly with them. While I find this movie to be enjoyable, it definitely had that you-had-to-be-there vibe, as my daughter, who was 14, didn't find it all that funny. I guess you do have to be there. But Andy's podcast, it is Geek Salad. We have spoken on Geek Salad, actually, about Wayne's World, because I was there when we spoke about Wayne's World in the movies of 1992. But Geek Salad, it is the one-stop shop for all of your geeky podcast needs. I call him perennial commenter Andy because he comments pretty much every week. So every week his podcast gets a shout out. So you should know who Geek Salad are by now, but I will put information in the show notes for them too. And the final patron comment comes from Brett, who says, Wayne's World is one of the best comedies out there. Mike Myers and Dana Carvey play so well off each other and they each bring their own specific comedy to the table that fits perfectly together. Great side characters, a fun to hate villain in Rob Lowe, and just an overall great time with the two main goofballs. It's a party and it's excellent. And what else is a party and also excellent is Brett's podcast, Dissect That Film. They basically review movies every week. They also do new releases. They do TV show discussions. They do everything on that podcast. They do so much more than this podcast does. 
So I will put information in the show notes for Dissect, that film as well. Moving over to Twitter, we're going to start with at Livestream for Cure, which is Nicholas Haskins. And I am going to be doing Livestream for the Cure again this year in May. I'm so excited to be joining Nick. Livestream for the Cure is live streams over three days, raising money for cancer research. I've done it for the last couple of years and I always have the best time. I love, 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 love doing Livestream for the Cure. I will give you some more information when that's a bit nearer the time with links where you need to go to watch me embarrass myself on Livestream for the Cure yet again for another year. But it's so much fun. I love doing it. And Nick says, game on. It's just incredible, endlessly entertaining. It gave Bohemian Rhapsody to a new generation. No stairway, denied. I don't think I've ever seen a film where they break the fourth wall before and I still adore it to this day. It's fresh, it's hip, it's Noah's Arcade. At And Why Not Pod said, Weirdly, I used to watch Wayne's World 2 all the time, but never bothered with the first one. Finally bought them both on video 20-ish years ago and loved it. A fantastic comedy full of great characters and performances. At Bitch and Boutique said, I mostly remember spending the whole movie thinking, this shouldn't be this good. Like something that makes a good five-minute sketch shouldn't translate to a feature film. But it caused SNL to keep trying that and failing. At Josh My King said, I remember when my family rented this movie and I was so mad because I didn't want to see it. Then everybody else thought it was dumb and it became one of my favourite movies of all time. I still quote it daily. It was a formative part of my childhood. At the number 15 all cast said, I still say Zan, whatever something is called to this day because of this movie. At Supercam64 says, Party time, excellent. I grew up with this movie and it introduced me to the world of Saturday Night Live. I actually saw Shrek around the same time. I saw this movie as a kid, so I got multiple versions of Mike Myers all at once. We are not worthy of such a comedy. At Movies Mistpod said, Holds up to this day, one of the best, as is the sequel, both are worthy. At Swayze of Arabia said, Wayne's World, while not the greatest SNL movie ever made, is still a fun movie to watch. Mike Myers and Dana Carvey have great chemistry together. Rob Lowe's a great job playing Russell. And of course, Tia Carrere is great as Cassandra. Also, we need to have a Stan Nikita's. At Andrew Gorge said, I used to keep all my cinema tickets in a scrapbook when I was a teenager. This was the first one. Now, if I shaved my beard, I would look just like Garth. At DISYPod said, Ed O'Neill steals that movie. At DiabolicalPod said, It's a hoot and endlessly quotable. It's like people only do things because they get paid, and that's just really sad. At Video Nasty said, who was it that said the Wayne's World film marked the last moment boomers felt genuinely hip? At Needed Road said, It's still one of me and my friends' most quoted films of all time. A gun rack? I don't even own a gun, let alone many guns to necessitate a whole rack. It's a shame Spheris didn't get to make more big films afterwards. And at Poodle Stinks said, I really hate that trend of no stairway to heaven. Now every guitar shop has that rule. Stupidity multiplies comments over on instagram but one comment over on facebook from giles who says i absolutely adore this film this and the sequel are two of my favorite comfort food films i don't think mike myers has ever been better and a huge thank you to everyone for your comments on wayne's world i love reading out people's comments on this podcast and if you do want to have your comments read out in episode 
the thought posts go up on social media, usually on a Friday. Simply comment on that post sort of in the first 24 hours or so, and I will read your comment out and I will credit you for your comment as well. Wait well is a really odd concept in and of itself. And the concept of two gregarious but not particularly intelligent teen rockers hosting a chat show on public television is a ridiculous notion. Back 30 years ago, also kind of today, if you think about it, the fact that they would talk about their everyday lives, women they were crushing on, interview celebrities, be silly for the camera or do other things, was the humour in the Wayne's World segments on Saturday Night Live. But if you think about it, these days, that sort of behaviour is hardly uncommon because today everyone is a content producer, a podcaster, a Twitch streamer or an Instagram influencer. TikTok may be the trending platform right now, but there have been social media platforms for 20 years or so, which means that people have been learning how to market themselves publicly for 20 years, whether they were aware of it or not. And as a podcaster, I've always been pretty open about how there's a public and private persona. That just is. It's conscious, but it's also subconscious as well. And when you think of the current crop of YouTubers, TikTokers, and you look at Wayne and Garth, their guileless, silly joy looks amateurish in comparison to the current crop of influencers who painstakingly manage portions of their lives as content. For a generation who are familiar with Instagram filters, settings and features, and who know that a sponsorship or creative partnership is a major indicator of success in the social media sphere. Wayne and Garth's hilarious product placement scene criticises selling out corporate interests while simultaneously shilling a ridiculous array of products. And this actually hits kind of differently in 2023 because Waitswell seemingly predicts influencer culture. I love this movie. I quoted it all the time as a kid. I still love it today. But what I love about it now is it's actually incredibly smart and it still comes across as a goofy comedy. Mike Myers is fantastic, but Dana Carvey's Garth really is genius. And I feel like Mike Myers might come for me, but the juxtaposition between the two characters and Garth's naive shyness and meekness and his inability to know the words to Bohemian Rhapsody, which was a genuine thing from Dana Carvey, who didn't know the words, is truly great. The fact that Garth tries to avoid the camera and, and talking in the fourth wall, his brief moments of genius, like the drum solo, again, completely Dana Carvey. This is a great double act. And while Mike Myers probably doesn't want Dana Carvey to take all the glory, Everyone in this cast is so spot on. The book's bunny line from Carvey was improvised as well. It's not what Mike Myers was laughing at, but that was also a genuine laugh from him too. This movie is so sharp and such a wonderful satirical take on things like corporate sponsorship, product placement. And Wayne's World really shouldn't have worked. You shouldn't be able to take a short Saturday Night Live sketch and turn it into a 90-minute movie. But if you actually have the heart and the smarts behind the scenes, it just goes to show that you actually can. And it's a real shame that Penelope Spheris was essentially barred from the sequel because I really feel like the sequel is lacking in so much of what makes the original movie great. And so the 199th episode of Verbal Diorama is coming to an end and it's been a blast. Thank you to Adrian for the suggestion of covering Wayne's World. But I've got some sad news. Because unfortunately, this podcast is finishing with this episode. And this has been a really hard decision to come to, but it does feel like the right one. 
I would like to express my thanks to you all for listening, for supporting this podcast. Keanu Reeves has gone off with his wonderful girlfriend. All of my contracts and subscriptions are coming to an end and everything is catching fire. As if I'd end the podcast like that, sharp. Let's do the Scooby-Doo ending. Good call. Well, that about wraps everything up for episode 199. But there's been an ominous presence throughout this episode. So I think it's time we find out who's been trying to sabotage this podcast and who Benjamin really is. Why, it's beloved patron, friend of the host and fellow podcaster Scott. And I would have gone away with it too if it hadn't been for you meddling podcasters. Excellent Scooby-Doo ending. But I think it's time for the mega happy ending. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode. I hope you found it entertaining, whimsical and yet relevant with an underlying revisionist conceit that belied the film's emotional attachments to the subject matter and that you didn't think this episode sucked. Isn't it great that we're all better people? Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Wayne's World. Get involved. Help this podcast grow. If you love Verbal Diorama and you want to help, you absolutely can by listening and supporting this podcast. I will ask no gun racks because I don't even own a gun, let alone many guns that would necessitate an entire rack. What am I going to do with a gun rack? To get involved and leave a rating or review wherever you found this podcast. It's like she wants to be liked by everyone. I mean, Led Zeppelin didn't find tunes everybody liked. They left that to the Bee Gees. You can also retweet or like posts on social media. You can find and follow me at Verbal Diorama, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Letterboxd, Hive, Post, Mastodon, all of the others. They're everywhere. You can also tell your friends and family about this podcast. And when you do, make sure you reiterate to them that it will be mine. Oh, yes, it will be mine, as in downloads and following this podcast, etc. It, it makes sense in context. If you like this episode of Wayne's World, you might also like previous episodes slash movies of this podcast. I'm going to recommend episode 95, Robin Hood Men in Tights, because Mel Brooks, it's funny. And it's a parody and it's hilarious. And if you like comedy, you'll love Men in Tights. Everyone loves Robin Hood Men in Tights. It's one of the most popular episodes of this entire podcast. For some reason, because people love Robin Hood Men in Tights. I'm also going to recommend episode 149, Dodgeball, because it's dodgeball. It's funny. Who doesn't like men getting repeatedly hit by a ball in the crotch? It's funny. And episode 166, Airplane, because... It's funny. Literally, that's where I'm going with these recommendations. Movies that are really genuinely hilarious, just like this one is. Obviously, give me feedback. Let me know if you think I missed any recommendations. The next episode is the big one. Episode 200 of this podcast. What could I possibly do for episode 200 that would be fitting for 200th episode? And there was really only one contender, genuinely. The only one that I ever thought of. It's time to follow the yellow brick road to somewhere over the rainbow. As for the 200th episode, well, I'm going to take a look into the immense history and legacy of the Wizard of Oz. And I'm so looking forward to seeing the Wizard of Oz again. I've not seen it for many years. I am constantly blown away every time I see the Wizard of Oz. 
It's so beautiful. It's so well made. It's so fun. But there's also a really interesting story behind the making of The Wizard of Oz that maybe you know, but maybe you don't. Ties in with the theme song, guys. You might know the story. You might not. So join me next week for the 200th episode of this podcast on The Wizard of Oz. And if you do want to sign up to support the show financially, a patron says what? What? You can. Because I have a Patreon. It's verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon. And as always, huge thank you to the patrons of this podcast to Simon E, Sade, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Vern, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Michael, Scott, Brendan, Ian, Lisa, Sam, Will, Jack, Dave, Chris, Stuart, Sunny, Drew, Nicholas, Zoe, Kev, Pete, Heather, Danny, Ali, Tyler, Stu, and Brett. We're not worthy! We're not worthy! We're not worthy! We're stuck! We suck! I also do have a merch store at verbaldiorama.com slash merch. You can get in touch with me, verbaldiorama at gmail.com. You can also say hi at verbaldiorama.com. And you can also find my stuff at filmstories.co.uk. You can find magazines, you can find articles, you can find all sorts of stuff. And finally... Contractor, no. I will not bow to any sponsor. Hey there, classmates. Tune in to Middle Class Film Class every Monday and Wednesday for weekly movie news, streaming picks, and one deep dive review. The Batman trailer. There was a teaser. There was a trailer. Trailer 1, trailer 2. Final trailer? I don't know if it's the same one. How many trailers do we need, exactly? Leave an email or a voicemail to join in the discussion. Bullshit artist! Uh, <laughs> yeah, buddy! All right. awesome. You're going full Danzig. Right, I am. My, my trans you have no power over me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you feel that way, but basically it's the nature of the beast. Maybe I'm wrong on this one, but for me, the beast doesn't include selling out. Garth, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's like people only do things because they get paid. And that's just really sad. I can't talk about it anymore. It's giving me a headache. Here, take two of these. Ah, new print. Little, yellow, different. Look, you can stay here in the big leagues and play by the rules, or you can go back to the farm club in Aurora. It's your choice. Yes, and it's the choice of a new generation. Bye.